really have to utilize your existing network. I, I can't stress that enough. It's what's going to expand your reach the most because you don't know who they know. You might call one person and they have the exact solution that you're looking for and voila, they'll hand it right to you a lot of the times. It's great, but you have to be willing to reach out to them and to do that. As we've grown and expanded, we had a much better idea of how to approach those individual sales channels, whether that's focusing on direct to consumer, business to business, direct to government. It's just making phone calls and sending product. Hey, do you like this? I want to outfit your unit. Is that much of it? Is that, that's not much of a change for you, right? My name is Kerry Kite. I used to load bombs in the Air Force, and now I'm a writer, a filmmaker, and an entrepreneur. Through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. And that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 73 features Christian Myers, an Air Force veteran, the co-host of the Medivac podcast, and the chief product officer and co-founder of Terra Arma. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. All right. Uh, all right. Second try. We are live. Good afternoon or maybe morning for you, Christian. I can't remember what time. You're in San Antonio. So it's, is it morning time for you still? Yeah, 1230 right now. Oh, okay. We're both we're both afternoon then. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, good afternoon, Christian Myers. Welcome to Veteran Made. Thanks, Gary. Thanks. Happy to be here, man. Awesome. Uh, stoked, stoked to have you. Uh, so would love it if you could give our audience just a brief primer on, on who you are and where you served and uh, where you are now, and then uh, and then we'll jump into it. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Christian Myers. Uh, I'm an Air Force combat search and rescue veteran. Spent a little over 12 years in the Air Force, uh, you know, primarily picking people up and uh, attempting to save them. Uh, I got multiple combat deployments with Afga in Afghanistan and East Africa, um, doing a lot of soft support, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm also the founder and chief product officer at Terra Arma. So I'm the original founder and uh, I, now I currently sit as the chief product officer. So I oversee pretty much all of the means of uh, every aspect of the product from product ideation, uh, fabric and molecular technology development, and to the implementation of those garments into, into the military. And I'm also one of the hosts of the Medivac podcast with my business partner, David. Uh, obviously, being former rescue, I, I come from the rescue side of the house, and uh, David was a 275 Ranger. He got blown up in Afghanistan, lost his left leg. So he comes from the injured side of the house. So the, the podcast, basically, we sit down with uh, military members, civilians, uh, first responders who have been injured, whether it's in the line of duty or uh, in an accident of some sort. We break down what it's like to go through that injury, the recovery, and showcase the resiliency on the back end. And we have some uh, pretty cool special episodes that we're starting to release now. They're reconnection episodes. So we find uh, somebody who's been rescued and the person who rescued them, and we reconnect them for the first time since they saw each other you know, during those events. And uh, let me tell you, those those moments are are, are pretty moving. A lot of, lot of tears. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. Um, I, I want to spend the majority of the time today talking about Terra Arma, but just a little bit on the Medivac podcast. How did that get started? What was the genesis? What was the idea? Um, uh, obviously, you, know, you just told us the idea and the thesis of the podcast, but what made you two decide to get together and, and host that and, and put it together and, and get it launched? Yeah, so Dave and I have been, uh, we, we, we've known each other for, for our, almost our entire lives. We went to high school together. So uh, we've been friends for <clears throat> a really long time. And uh, after I got out of the military, uh, he came on board Terra Arma and we were sitting down. We wanted to, uh, we've been working with a lot of different nonprofits. We do a lot of philanthropy, both through Terra Arma and then you know through our personal lives. And we've had the opportunity to, to meet a lot of really interesting service members, people who had gone through injuries and none of their stories were being told. And they were, I mean, stories of amazing resilience, you know, people who have burns on 98, 99% of their body who are, you know, doing public speaking and comedy and, you know, people who have been paralyzed, like, what's it like if, if you just wake up paralyzed one day, we wanted to really get to the, the gist of how people are able to make it through those injuries. Cause a lot of time we hear the big military stories and it's usually the action packed door kicking kind of stuff. You're like, yeah, it's cool. But those stories are all about the same, right? You know, kicked a door in, shot someone or, you know, did the thing and, and we left and it's, you know, it's impressive, but I wanted to know what it's like when you get injured and you're separated from your unit now, 
a lot of times they never see those guys again. They're separated. They're taken from, you know, a lot of times it's tier one guys we're talking to who are at the absolute peak of, of you know, pinnacle athleticism and, and being the, the toughest warfighter you can possibly be. And in a single moment, you're, you're no longer that. And what's it like to, to reconcile with that? And how do you make it through that, right? So showcasing that resiliency, uh, because those stories resonate with people, whether you've stepped on a bomb or been in a car accident, if you're going through something, you know, traumatic, a lot of those, a lot of those stories and a lot of that, uh, a lot of that information can be conveyed and, and absorbed by other people so that they can apply that in their everyday lives. So that's really why, why we started the podcast is, is to showcase those stories and, and, you know, give people some hope. <laughs> yeah. I, um, when I was at Bagram, <clears throat> second time that was my second time at Bagram. I escorted an injured member of my unit to launch tool okay. from Bagram. And it was a very powerful experience for me yeah. to get on that C5 with him and then to see, and we were just flight line guys. Right. So like we, we, we were, our, our, our flight chief used to say, uh, we do, you know, we were, we were bomb loaders on, on F-15s, E-models. And our flight chief used to say, we do our job for the kid up in the mountains um, in, in Afghanistan. And, and I remember being like, oh, yeah, no, that's a really good way to frame it. And it's a really good thing for us to remember that, you know, what, what feels like uh, boring work to us um, or what feels like boring moments to us. And then that alert hits and you got to get that jet loaded or get, get that jet armed and, and get it up in the air as fast as you can. Like those yeah. are, those are meaningful moments when there's troops in contact that, but you know, it was kind of always still just this very theoretical thing for me. And then when I escorted him to launch tool and we got on that, uh, got on that C5 and I saw all those other guys that, that had been injured um, in, in some way, shape or form, saw some pretty brutal and gruesome injuries on that flight. Uh, it, yeah. it definitely shifted the way that I thought about, uh, my service and my job and kind of what I was doing. And then obviously I, I dropped them off at launch tool and hopped on the next C5 that was going right back to Bagram and got right back to work, you know? So it was really interesting. What has telling these stories in this format done uh, to you and for you um, as you've produced and hosted this podcast? Oh, I mean, <clears throat> the stories have, have provided perspective for me, uh, a big perspective shift. And it's, it's really helped me Honestly, it's the best education I've ever had to sit down with. <clears throat> you know, we've we've done over 110 episodes now, so somewhere in the realm of 140 people we've spoken to. You know, a lot of times we have two people on, but True. it is the single best education I've ever had as far as uh, learning and, and growth and self development. Right? It gives me a big perspective shift when I'm having a bad day and you know something's not going my way. I have to I have to stop and or I can now stop and 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 think and consider, you know, the other people that I've talked to and how my small problem is really, is really just that, right? <clears throat> it's a small problem. Things that, that I put my, you know, situations I put myself in primarily with business, they're stressful, but no one's shooting at me. I'm not dying and I'm not, you know, I'm not losing my ability to walk or, or, or whatever it is, right? I have to, I have to remind myself of that. And uh, it allows me to, to, I guess, telling these stories and, and listening to these people, it allows me to, to fall back on that. Right. Um, and for, for our audience, I think I would say the same thing. We get outreach, um, basically daily from, from people who listen to the show about whether it's a wife who's not been able to connect with her husband. And, you know, those are messages we get like, Hey, I've not been able to connect with my husband in the last 10 years. And listening to this episode, it, it made me realize that, Oh, this is exactly what he's going through. And now I have an ability and I, I have the know-how on how to interact with him appropriately around these topics, right? Um, <clears throat> so things like that, they resonate with the audience. And uh, that's ultimately why we do it at the end of the day. This is, it's, it's an all-volunteer thing. You know, we, we don't take a paycheck for it. We, we, have, uh, um, we have a partnership with the Robert Irvine Foundation, which is an amazing military nonprofit. But uh, it's a programmatic expense with that, so it allows us to tell stories of the people that Robert Irvine Foundation are helping to push that out to their audience. Um, so it, it really comes full circle at the end of the day, it gives us a big opportunity to give back to a lot of other nonprofits and a lot of deserving individuals at the same time. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, it's incredible. 
Uh, we'll link everything out. We'll, we'll tag tag a couple of these clips uh, with with the podcast uh, as well. Yeah. So so people who listen to this want to listen to that um, can can go check that out. Did you two um, start the podcast and the business like at the same time? Was it later? Was it after? What what, what was the genesis of of the business of Terra Arma and and and, um, and how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so I, I actually started Terra Arma on a deployment, believe it or not. So uh, during my second combat deployment uh, to to Africa. Um, I, I incurred uh, like a minor, minor to moderate injury. So the the crappy cotton t-shirts that they were issuing us had the seams up on the top of the shoulder, and with my my vest and ruck and weapon and all that stuff, it ended up eating through my shoulder on a really long mission that we had. It was like fifty seven hours or something, really really long mission, um, and it just ate through my shoulder. I had this like nasty kind of kind of wound there, and as you know on deployments, especially in austere locations, if you're doing operations, you don't you don't take a day off. And where we were at, we had no one to backfill for us. So if one of us goes down, like we no longer have a re like a viable rescue asset there. So I had to continue with the job and uh, the remaining you know four months of the deployment, and it just kept eating through my shoulder. Uh, every day I went back out, and it got worse and worse. And it was just it wasn't detrimental, but it was very distracting. And uh, so when I got ready for my my follow on deployment after that, I went to look for for base layers that you know were anti-chafe, antimicrobial. They didn't stink. They were comfortable because there was a lot of, at that time, it was around 2017, 2018, there was a lot of uh, apparel companies popping up, releasing really comfortable clothing, functional stuff, modern technical fabrics, and no one was doing anything for the military in that regard. Uh, so the idea basically happened in a like a Lululemon shop. I was buying some some training gear to take on the deployment. I'm like, man, if they just made this shirt in tan or OD green, like they would make they would make a killing. <laughs> you know, that was kind of the idea. And I thought about emailing them and I was getting ready to go on the deployment. I'm like, you know what? I, I could probably just figure this out. You know, it's something that I'm interested in and I'm sure I can come up with a solution. So that's basically where, where it started. Uh, during that deployment, I put all my, all my bills on, on hold. Um, I saved up pretty much every last dollar that I could. And uh, I also did all the research uh, during that deployment. So I, I taught myself uh, fabrics, you know, fabric technologies, fabric manufacturing, cut and sew manufacturing, basically the entire process of creating a garment from the ground up into, you know, from ideation to completion, right? <clears throat> so I, I, I used the, my, my downtime as an opportunity to learn as much as I could. And the day that I got back, I spent my entire deployment savings on uh, getting the business started. So buying our first batch of, uh, of shirts, getting the website started and all that jazz. And uh, I didn't realize at that point that I had just done, you know, six, eight months worth of work and, and spent tens of thousands of dollars just to get started, right? <laughs> so when that first like 2000 shirts showed up was my like first initial order, you know, <clears throat> yeah, w went all in. And I didn't just uh, dip my toe in, I, I kind of jumped all in. And when that first 2000 shirts showed up, I looked at it and like, holy shit, now I got to start selling these things. And that's, uh, so that's, that was basically the concept of, of where Terra Arma started, but that was in 2018 and I was transitioning out of the military, uh, which I eventually did in 2021. During that time, it was just a, a mom and pop kind of business, you know, Instagram based business where I was just selling shirts to people. We had a, we had a storefront online, um, but it got more and more popular more people started asking for new colorways, new models, and then military units started reaching out and said, Hey, you know, we've been we've had a couple guys wear these and now we want to wear these in uniform and so the business with the government really kind of kind of started ticking but um in like i said in 2021 I, I retired out of the military relocated to texas and then we uh, i brought dave on board uh and we refounded it together he had an extensive uh, business experience working with uh, a few different businesses and nonprofits. So I wanted to leverage that business experience he had with the technical know-how that I had and kind of marry the two. And uh, it, it was, you know, we didn't look back after that. It started, Terra Arma started, you know, doing the uh, the skyrocket from there. So that was uh, 2020. The, the old hockey stick. Um, hockey stick okay, yeah. so, like, so like all good entrepreneurs, you're solving a problem for yourself first and then scaling. Like all great vetrepreneurs, Instead of playing video games and watching movies on deployments, uh, you're learning a bunch of shit about shit you don't know anything about. Yep. Um, I want to jump into the mindset piece, though, uh, to start. You said something interesting. You said, I'm standing there in Lululemon and I'm thinking to myself, man, 
if they just sold this in Coyote Tan or OD Green, they'd make a killing. Yeah. And I thought about emailing them, but then I thought to myself, I could learn this and just do this myself. Yeah. Take yourself back to that moment. What do you think it was? Not about your mindset now that you're a seasoned entrepreneur, but but at that moment when you weren't a seasoned entrepreneur, what was it about you, yourself, your mind, your heart that you think gave you that spark that said, I can, I can figure this out. I kind of boil it down to stupidity, to be honest. <laughs> and, uh, and pretty much anyone in like the, uh, the scaling side of, of businesses, right? The venture capital side of the house or, or the equity side of the house, they're going to tell you the same thing if you're starting a clothing company. Don't do it. You're dumb. It's really, really hard. And uh, so I, I kind of boil it down to ignorance. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I had really no plan of action other than I wanted to create a product. And that was that was as far as it went. Um, <clears throat> but I, I know what you're talking about with that picking the idea out of the air, right? So realizing that there's an idea there that you can that you can press against. I don't I don't necessarily have a formula for people. That's something that I taught myself how to do when I started getting involved in philanthropy and I started learning about business and how it worked and talking to other uh, business owners about how they started theirs and where their ideas came from. Uh, so I think that kind of shifted gradually for me over time uh, after having some experience on the business side of the house. And what I was able to learn basically was if you're having an idea that, you know, just a passing thought that, hey, this is a great idea. Somebody should do this. Don't say that. Say, I should do this. And mm -hmm. does it resonate with you? Is it something that you can figure out? Is it something that you're interested in? Because that's really what it boils down to. You can start a lot of businesses that, that make good money, but they're boring as shit you know, or they're stressful and, and you're not interested in them. At the end of the day, that's, that's really what it comes down to is find something that you're interested in. If you're interested in creating a solution for a topic or, or an area of interest that you have, dive in and see what happens, or at least just dip your toe in. And it doesn't hurt to, to talk to people in those industries and, and see what happens. But yeah, picking that idea out of the air, I, there's, I don't really think there's a formula for that. It's, it's something that I think you have to learn for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. Uh, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people, right? Um, what, uh, what, so what did you start with? What product did you start with as you're, as you're getting on that deployment and researching all of these various aspects of, of, of apparel, manufacturing, production, supply, all that stuff. Like what, what did you start with? I'm assuming you started with a t-shirt based on the, based on the initial problem that you had. Did you start with just one product, two products, one colorway, two colorways? Like what was your, what was, what was product number one? What was step number one? Yeah. So, so product number one was our, is our catalyst lux. That's our, our flagship item. It's been our flagship item since day one. Um, and to answer your colorway question, we started with four colorways initially. Uh, <clears throat> what I really started with was, was fabric. Right. So fabric selection, that's that's really what it came down to initially was I'm tired of the cotton, the shitty cotton T-shirts or the cotton poly T-shirts are not comfortable. You get the prickly heat when it's hot out and you're sweating. Uh, it's it's scratchy. It's unprofessional because it stinks and it has sweat stains like that. There had to be a solution there. So I started started doing a lot of research on you know different fabrics that were readily available, things that were not readily available too, and the characteristics that they all held. Um, that actually led me to developing our, our own, our, our first fabric, which was the, the Lux fabric. Uh, it's made out of a, it's a proprietary blend of uh, beech trees and recycled spandex. Uh, it's made in a specific fashion that is proprietary to us. So nobody in the world else uses this fabric. Um, and it has all the characteristics that I wanted to, to implement into the clothing. It's antimicrobial, incredibly comfortable. I mean, it, it feels like silk against your skin. You almost, you almost forget that you're wearing it most of the time, to be honest. Um, it's uh, sweat wicking and quick dry UV. It's got all the characteristics that I wanted to pack into a product. And uh, so that's, that's how we decided on that. The cut, I wanted to make sure that we were reducing the, uh, um, the ability for chafing, right? So we wanted to reduce uh, any chafing or hot points. So we relocated the seams from the top of the shoulder to a raglan style cut. We're utilizing flat lock seams to further reduce the chafing. And it's got some other features that are built that are built in that help you know specifically military members or out, people in the outdoors. A lot of those have crossovers, but that was the focus was military members. So whether they have a ruck on or a parachute, a vest, we want to reduce all those chafing points and ensure that there's maximum comfort, maximum durability. 
so obviously the way you speak about this now, you're quite a bit more informed, mm-hmm. you know, obviously having scaled this company than you were at the time. Yeah. What kind of language were you using like with yourself, to yourself, like as you were research, researching all of this and you, you obviously knew the pain points you had experienced acutely mm-hmm. on that on that deployment before. And then you knew that it could probably, well, I'm assuming you knew that that other uh, uh, high-performing military members and units might be experiencing similar things. So you kind of had this idea of, of, of what problem you were trying to solve, but uh, did you know anything about fabric? Did you know anything about cuttings? Did you know anything about any of this stuff? Or like, where did the research start? How did that go? Were, were there any moments where you got overwhelmed and almost quit? Like, wh- what was it like? Yeah. Uh, so I, I had no idea. Uh, I, I don't come from a manufacturing background or, or anything along those lines. I, I'm a, you know, I, I did some engineering in, in the Air Force, uh, but yeah. that's it, it's not relative at all. Um, so I had zero experience coming into this, but I had interest in clothing. Um, I have fabric sensitivities, so I, I select my the clothing that I wear pretty selectively for the most part. Um, just my skin is, is quite sensitive. So that's something that I wanted to address for, again for myself. At the end of the day, I was just trying to come up with a, a solution for myself. Um, yeah, points... Uh, points that I almost quit or, or, you know, couldn't see the, the light at the end of the tunnel. There, there's a lot of them and they're continual. Even, even just a few weeks ago, we, we were sitting down like, man, we've got this really big problem right now. How do we solve this? And that, that, that is continual, but um, it happened a few times uh, when I was first getting started. The biggest pain point for, for me, uh, because it was a self-funded bootstrapped, you know, business was, was scaling and early scalability, right? <clears throat> uh, the first major problem I ran into was uh, I had been outfitting a few military units, so we had some good functional cash uh, on hand to work to work with. But I received a really large order from Norwich University, which is the they're the largest military university in the U.S. And we've been outfitting their cadets for years now uh, with Terra Arma. And the reason that uh, side note, the reason that I targeted them, and I think this is a really good point of note for, for any aspiring entrepreneur or, or early stage, mid-stage entrepreneurs is guerrilla marketing, right? You can spend money on marketing all day long and you're going to compete with everyone, but you have to consider the second and third order, uh, not effects, but second and third order, uh, parties that touch the primary party you're trying to, to target, right? So military, that's where I wanted to focus. Who goes to the military? Well, high school kids who, you know, they get out of high school and they enlist in the military. How do I target them? Pretty hard to do, right? And they don't have a whole lot of money, right? Well, cadets, they spend four years at a military academy. They have to wear a uniform the entire time, and they're going to be commissioned right into the military from there. Gives them a larger budget. They have more experience wearing a uniform and and wearing that specific uniform. And in this case, wearing Terra Arma for the entire four years that they're a cadet commissioning into the military, what's usually the first uh, additional duty that a young lieutenant gets? Hey, you're in charge of supply. Well, great, because guess what? I've been wearing these comfortable shirts the last four years I was at Norwich, and now you guys are wearing this shit. I want to bring Terra Arma to you. So guerrilla marketing is, is kind of how we got started um, with with the expansion, right? A cheap expansion uh, to get that word out. But uh, to, to kind of go back uh, I, I received a really large order. It was in the, the realm of like $50,000, right? Which was a really big purchase for us at the time. It was, again, just me. And I'm like, shit, how do I fund creating that before I get the money? And they're not going to pay up front. And it's going to take me four months to create this. It's going to take them another two months to pay me. So I have to figure out how to produce, you know, twenty five, dollars $30,000 for the stuff. And then sit on that loan or, you know, figure out a way to to, to bridge that gap. That was the big first hurdle that I ran into, and it was basically a make or break. Like, if I do this incorrectly, now I'm going to be in the hole for fifty grand, and then have you know thirty thousand dollars worth of defunct material and defunct product. Then I'm I'm just done, right? So I I walked I walked a couple of those lines by myself early, um, and just I just trusted just trusted myself really. I didn't have a process or or a mentor to kind of walk me through it. I just, I just kind of figured it out. Google's a really strong friend, right? If you, if you need to know something, Google it, it's going to run you through your answers. And, uh, that, that's basically what happened is I, I Googled how to properly leverage different, uh, you know, different supply chains and, and, uh, get the finance finances that I needed upfront without a huge, you know, 10% APR or something like that, that I needed to pay back. I was able to bridge it and, and make it through that. Uh, but it, it had it gone, 
had one thing gone wrong in that, or you know, one day late on delivery, it, it would have it would have sunk me early. Um, but yeah, we we continually run into those issues even now that we're you know like a medium sized heading to enterprise size level business. Um, we continually run into those issues now. <laughs> it's something you just yeah. got to press through. Yeah, yeah. Th those are the things that you have to be ready for. It sounds it sounds cool and sexy to to use the word entrepreneur and and to think that you can be an entrepreneur, but until you're staring one of one of those types of, of orders in the face early uh, early on when you don't have the resources um, you know that that will that will legitimately test whether or not you're, you're up for up for the task so you pivoted to come uh, customer acquisition for me I want to I want to get there but I want to go back to those first 2,000 shirts that you um, ordered uh, what was your plan at that moment coming back from that second deployment that you mentioned? Uh, or you, you learned all of this and then you got 2000 shirts. What was the breakdown of colorways? Did you have any idea of like who your customers were going to be at that point? Were you just trying to like, Hey, let me get these 2000. Let me see if I can just like hawk them out of the back of my trunk, you know, digitally through Instagram and all that stuff. Or like, what, yeah. what was the plan? What was the approach? Who were your initial customers? Yeah, that was, it was a combination of all of that. Right. So I, I knew, I knew my customer, uh, the customers that I had in mind were military, police, fire, EMS, right. Anyone who wears a uniform. That's, that's basically who we began serving. And so the colorway breakdown was in association of that. We had uh, tan because I was primarily serving the Air Force, black, navy blue, and OD green, right? Black and navy blue, it's great for police, fire. Uh, some military are using black shirts and then the OD green feeds right into the Marine Corps as well as the greater military, you know, the greater military audience, I would say. So I knew the audience uh, right off the bat. I knew who we wanted to serve. And uh, I guess yeah, the other colorway breakdown and association was was focused on that. From a marketing perspective, uh, I had very little experience in marketing outside of nonprofit work, which is a lot of footwork. Um, so I had experience on that side, you know, a couple of years of basic nonprofit experience on how to beat down doors, how to utilize a network, um, how to get you know uh, other other Instagram pages to to promote it, and how to get influencers to promote it. So I, I had basic understanding on how to do that. And I just kind of threw stuff at the wall and see what would stick. So I tried everything. Um, we did, you know, basic Instagram and Facebook ads. Uh, we had our e-commerce site set up with email list, and I was I was utilizing social media to kind of feed back and forth between those. Um, but as I'm sure you're well aware, like a direct to consumer lifestyle based business is incredibly hard to start, especially you know the, the market is is flooded. There's a new there's a new T-shirt lifestyle business that pops up every single day. And I was really struggling to uh, put a line between who we were and and who they were. Right? We are not uh, we're not a, a t-shirt printing company. We are a clothing manufacturer and a textile, you know, a, a smart textiles business that creates clothing with our functional fabrics. Right? So I was really struggling with how to define that and to showcase that to the customers, other than just being another veteran t-shirt brand and. That, that was the biggest first hurdle that we ran into with the marketing was um, was the storytelling. And that's something that we learned. Um, I, I didn't learn until much later, actually. So after after Dave came on board in 2021 and we refounded the business, we went through an accelerator program. And that's where where I really learned. Uh, you know, we, we learned extensively, uh, you know, business tactics, uh, how to do our finances, basic marketing all that kind of jazz in a, in a six month accelerator course that really brought us up to speed um, and, and helped us cross those hurdles from there. Does that answer your question? I know I kind of go off on tangents yeah. sometimes. <laughs> oh, it's great. It answers my question and gets me to more questions, which this might turn into a Joe Rogan, uh, Joe Rogan length episode here. If we let's, keep let's going. Go, man. I, got, I got all day, man. <laughs> I'll try to keep us on track here. Um, did you take out a, a loan initially? You're talking about buying meta ads and, and um, an e-commerce site, and obviously the the initial run of of shirts. Mm -hmm. um, and you were bootstrapping this. Like, did you take out a loan, or or you just saved up with what you had? Yeah, yeah. So I saved up my, my entire deployment savings basically for a six month deployment. So I don't I don't necessarily like to throw the actual numbers around there, but around it was around thirty five grand. Right was was about what what I dumped into the business. Uh, yeah. Split. I would, you know, 75% into product. Um, the development cost a lot. Uh, the development alone probably cost me five grand for just just fabric samples and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. 
it's it's something that uh, yeah I had no plan for. I had no idea how to even take out a business loan or a business proposal or anything like that. So I just saved up all my money and dumped it right in. And up to that point, up till uh, we we brought on a strategic partner in 2022. We had not taken uh, a single dollar uh, until then. So the original investment that I put up front is what carried us all the way to 2022 until we started our, our big expansion and growth. And so with with minimal experience on the D2C marketing side of things, well, okay, let's, 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 let's jump back to product. We'll come back to marketing. So uh, product, uh, product samples, how did you develop the proprietary blend? Um, you knew what you were looking for. You obviously had your own personal... Um, I'm not sure if you said allergies or sensitivities, I think is what you said. So yeah. you kind of like had a good idea of, 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 of those things. But as you're sifting through all of this research, uh, how did you approach um, product samples and how did you approach getting this proprietary blend and, and putting it together? I, yeah. I would imagine that it knowing what you don't like, like, uh, and I think that's probably worth highlighting, right? A lot of people don't understand that, that attrition is a great measurable uh, is, is, a, is a great measure of like where you should go, like dispense with what you don't like and focus on the other options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, that's exactly what I did. So uh, I got during my, that, that research period um, and the, my learning period, I reached out to a lot of different fabric manufacturers, cut and sew manufacturers, full vertically integrated, you know, facilities that do everything from, you know, fabric creation all the way to fit and finish in, in one area. So I, I just, I reached out to them. I asked them questions and a lot of them were fairly responsive. I got, uh, I made a couple friends there basically. So I started emailing, I got phone numbers, continued the discussions from there on, Hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Can you help me come up with, you know, some ideation? Can you help me walk through these processes? They were all very, very helpful uh, when it came down to it. The, the hard part is, they're finite. Uh, those those relationships are finite if they do not have a financial ties to them, right? So you can't just keep calling the manufacturer and asking them questions if you're not spending money there. And that is another problem that I ran into is I was just trying to get this off the ground and learn. Uh, so I had to I had to reach out to a lot of them, and I'd learn a little bit from this one, and I would utilize what I learned there onto the next one, learn a little bit more, onto the next one, learn a little bit more until I finally came up with, you know, the solution uh, that, that we landed on. Uh, I think we did, or I think I did over, I want to say around a hundred different fabric samples, uh, different blends, this, that, and the other. And eventually, like you said, narrowed it down, figured out, hey, don't like this, don't like this, narrow it down to these five and then go through the characteristics, fit and finish, feel, durability, you know, run through those and make sure that it's going to meet the needs that you're looking for. So that's that's basically where that started was uh, was just reaching out as much as I could, learning as much as possible. And again, like you said, by attrition, right? Figure out what you don't like, go with what you do like, and narrow it down from there. And makes things very simple. And so those five, like of those five, like is that where you pulled the proprietary blend from? Like when did you start? getting to, to that aspect of it. Obviously, I'm not asking you to go into specific detail there. I'm just more kind of curious, like how you're able to curate it down and then land on your own from those five. Yeah, uh, well, so the five were, were all custom blends. So they were all stuff that hadn't been made yet, uh, which was, again, very- well, how you, you commissioned those blends. Yeah, yeah. So when, it, so when you're, uh, so things to consider, you can't just, uh, you can't have a custom blend made in a swatch, right? No one's just going to make you a six by six inch piece of fabric especially with with custom blends that means they're having to set up their commercial machinery which makes hundreds of thousands of yards of fabric at a time right yeah it means you have to produce a couple hundred yards of everything so when yeah. i was running through this process it was it was incredibly expensive to, to get started just because I, I i didn't have the experience the experience that i have now you know i have i have much more experience with fabrics uh the, the base fibers whether it's the you know monofilaments or or you know different yarn types whatever that is um, I have the experience now to where I know what to what to pick and choose appropriately early on, right? But it's it's education that you can't necessarily get without spending the money, um, and there's really no education to get elsewhere. There's really North Carolina State is really the only place you can go to get a textile based degree or learn any sort of upper level information about textiles and, and fabric technologies. So you're it's very limiting. It's a really really difficult space to get into. Yeah. Uh, man, that's incredible. Um, totally ignorant on all this stuff. It's super fascinating to me. Yeah, no. um, me too. I was too. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> I get nerd, nerd out on it for, for a while. Um, okay. So 
so you said you allocated like 75% to product development there and then 25% roughly um, to, to the marketing side. So how did you bootstrap the marketing side? Like what was your approach if you had some, like I think you said, you know, some nonprofit experience doing some kind of maybe probably like direct marketing, organic style outreach, outbound kind of thing. How did you learn the funnel, the marketing funnel? Or did you learn the marketing funnel? Like how did you pick and choose how to, which ads to make? What was your content strategy and production, all that stuff? Like how, how did that go for you? Yeah, utilizing the the existing network that I had for for the most part. So from from a content side, you know, I had friends who were taking really good pictures, really beautiful photos. They were making some really cool just at home videos. You know, they were, whether it's tactical stuff or like little scripted videos, I just reached out to them and said, "Hey, like this is you know this is my business. You know, I'll, I'll send you some product. I, I'd like to take some photos with you. I'll give you some free product or pay you a couple hundred bucks." And for the most part, you know. It, from the friend side of the network, people were okay just doing the work because they wanted to be a part of it. Um, yeah. So that's that's how we developed our initial content, and which which grew and developed its own its own flavor after a number of years. But from the marketing aspect, I I, I knew basic funnels just from from Google research. Hey, what's you know what's the best way to to get people to purchase from my Instagram business, and then you know reading articles from there on how to develop a funnel, how to get them from wherever they're seeing your product through into your store, how to funnel that purchase down into an actual, you know, add to cart and a purchase. Uh, so I, I, I basically learned just on Google, the, I didn't have a huge marketing budget at all. You know, I had, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month to utilize. And I realized really quickly that um, Instagram and Facebook ads do not function all that well if you don't have a huge marketing budget. So it was almost going to waste for the most part. Um, but what at the same time, and this is what really sets Terra Arma apart is I don't have to focus on Instagram ads or Facebook ads. We're not a direct consumer company for the most part. It's our smallest sales channel. And it's always been intended that it'll be our smallest sales channel. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of, of having an Arcteryx or, or a Patagonia where the entire world knows, you know, they know the brand logo and recognition. But it's it's really hard to do that, and so the focus for me basically shifted back to direct to government sales. Right, I, I have very little marketing when I'm selling direct to government. They pay 100% in bulk purchases. It, it's the it's the easiest and it's the most it's the smartest you know, style of of sales in my opinion, um, because yeah. if I can sell a thousand shirts at full price versus one shirt and they want a 20% discount and I have to pay for shipping like. Okay, I'll make forty bucks here, or I'll make ten thousand in the same amount of time. And yep. over there, I'm probably spending six bucks just to acquire them in the first place. I have to hope that they like the product, that it fits, yep. that they come back. You know, on the government side, it was it was much easier. So I didn't have to, or we didn't have to struggle through that too much, to, to be completely honest. Yeah, well, we've arrived back back at that at that pivot, which is great. I mean, one one thing I do want to say is that like. As I continue to have these conversations and as I continue to to audit my own journey professionally, I, I, I think that the one thing that sets military veterans apart as creatives and as entrepreneurs is because we've painted and repainted walls that didn't need to be painted in the first place and we've mopped floors that didn't need to be mopped in the first place and because we've you know suffered through not just like difficult and austere environments and getting shot at and getting mortared, but we've suffered through the most valuable thing to suffer through, which is boredom. Mm. Like there, there's literally nothing you can bore a military veteran with who's willing to sift through pages and pages of Google to yeah. teach themselves how to do something they are wholly unqualified to do at the outset. And I, I love hearing that from you. It's 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 the discipline, right? It's, it, it's the discipline, the desire and the, uh, you know, I don't know if you allow cursing on the on the podcast, but fuck yeah. I say, yeah, I say fitfo, right? Figure it the fuck out. And that is what my very first supervisor in the military ever told me when I asked him a stupid question on how to do something. He looked at me like an asshole and he said, figure it the fuck out. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I will go figure it out. And that stuck with me. That was one of my first days, like back to my, my initial unit ask a stupid question, figure it the fuck out. And it, like, okay, that's going to be the answer from now on. I should never ask a question again. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, what you got to do. You have to be able, you have to be self-reliant. You can't rely on other people. You can't hope that someone else is going to do something for you or come through because a lot of times they're going to let you down. It's not going to be what you want. So just do it yourself. Figure it the fuck out. 
Yeah. No, I love it. I, for some reason, this has always stuck with me. I think I learned it in basic training. Maybe it was tech school. I'm not sure. But if you ever, you know, if you're an enlisted member, I'm sure officers do this too, but you know, who cares? Um, it, it, you're always told that you might have to, you know, stand in front of a board, right? Whether it's for like some kind of award or some kind of like recognition or whatever it might be. And I, I, remember, I can't remember who, may have been basic training where they said, um, if you get asked a question and you don't know the answer, the answer in the board setting as you're standing there at parade rest is, I don't know, sir, but I will find out and come back and tell you. That's and like, that is a very foundational kind of belief that I have professionally just from 18 going through basic training. Completely agree with you. Absolutely. That's, and that should always be the answer, you know, and what it comes down to is, is responsibility and discipline, right? You have to take the responsibility yourself and you have to impose the discipline on yourself to, yeah. you know, press forward, to keep doing that and to do it day after day after day. Because let me tell you what, I've, I've traveled the last seven weeks straight, basically, except for Thanksgiving. And I worked pretty much every weekend, the last seven weeks straight. It's yeah. just, it's the lifestyle. You have to have the discipline to keep pressing. You have to do it yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. And I think you're entirely, yeah. entirely correct in that. That's exactly right. And we love our officers. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, very loyal uh, officer listeners. So uh, apologies if I, if I triggered you out there. Um, okay. So let's jump to customer acquisition. So um, when I was at the previous ad agency that I was at, the CEO and I, pretty kind of like early on in my tenure there, we realized that one of the best verticals for us to operate in was B2B mm -hmm. uh, because most uh, advertising agencies, content agencies, production companies, they don't want to do B2B uh, business to business for those out there who, who don't know because it's boring or because the content is not as sexy or, or, or whatever, what have you. And so what we saw was an opportunity mm -hmm. uh, to make you know, what we ended up calling B2B to C, make the B2B content so great that it does end up getting to the consumer, whether that's organically on a website or brand film or, you know, whatever. Uh, and then sometimes there'd be a paid media buy behind some of the cut downs eventually, which was which was a nice kind of sales strategy for us because it put us in a in a good position to speak to our clients who, who were running B2B marketing and they were always met with agencies that were not excited to be there, but because we were excited to be there, that actually ended up, um, you know, getting us a, a lot of, a lot of uh, closing business, which was, which was awesome. So when did you arrive at the very smart approach to go to directly to the government, directly to military, to units, to cadets and all of that stuff? Like what was the journey like for you to, to go from, you know, most people would dream of starting um, a t-shirt company and selling it to people and being super cool. And like you said, having everybody know your brand name. What was that journey like for you to go um, kind of to, to the government and, and in like a B2B fashion? Uh, really quick, actually. So uh, I got my first, the, the initial uh, delivery of shirts in October of 2018. And on like December 22nd of 2018, I made my first military sale. So Again, utilizing my existing network, I, I was transitioning out of the military at that time. So I didn't have, uh, you know, I was able to sell to the military in a non-contractual basis. So just government swipes, completely legal to do that. So I knew my limitations that I couldn't contract with the military, but I could, if they wanted to do a GPC swipe, it was free game. So I reached out to my existing network, guys in other units that I had worked with or flown with or you know, deployed with, called all of them and said, hey, I'm going to send you some shirts. Uh, if you like them, if your military unit wants them, I'll, I have a bunch here and I'll sell them to you. And that's, that's what happened. So, uh, within, within two months of the, the initial shipment, I had sold my first batch of like 500 shirts, uh, which, you know, it was huge, uh, getting into that, um, it, you really have to utilize your existing network. I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, it's, it's what's going to expand your, your business the most. And it's what's going to expand your reach the most because you don't know who they know. So reach out and ask because they might have, you know, you might call one person and they have the exact solution that you're looking for and voila, they'll hand it right to you. A lot of the times it's great. Uh, but you have to, you have to be willing to, to reach out to them and to do that. Um, as we've grown and expanded, I, I don't. I personally don't like to focus too much on the early days uh, of Terra Arma because we've 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 changed so much since then. Uh, after our refounding in 2021, we, you know, had a much better idea of how to how to approach those individual sales channels and how to break that out. Right? How to get a sales staff uh, and and integrate whether that's focusing on direct to consumer, business to business, direct to government, 
Now we do have an alternate sales channel that we call MSOVSO, which is Military and Veteran Support Organizations. It's an independent sales channel that we have entirely at Terra Arma, which is very different than most businesses. Uh, so it, it came from years of evolution, to, to be honest, to get to this point. But to, to initially get there was just utilizing the existing network, making phone calls and, and asking, asking questions, asking for help, sending product. Hey, do you like this? Yeah, then buy it. Like, buy some more. I want to outfit your yeah. unit. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. So what was the genesis of the refounding in 2021 when you brought Dave on? Yeah. So, uh, taking the business from, uh, like I said, from a mom and pop style business where most of it was, you know, whether it's Instagram based or, or just those little government sales that I was limited in scaling was, was daunting to me. I, I had no idea how to scale a business, how to, you know, bring on multiple employees, how to get the books completely squared away, take on investment, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and, uh, Dave had extensive experience. He'd worked at a nonprofit for seven years at that point, the executive director of a a $5 million nonprofit. So he had extensive experience in that realm. And the, the network that he had was, was massive. And I said, Hey, you know, I, I, I've got this business. I think you would be a great fit. He, he was interested in, in, you know, the style of business outfitting military with advanced clothing, right. It, it spoke to him as well. He loved the product. He loved the idea and said, Hey, you know, I want, I want to help with this and I want to do this together. So when we refounded in 2021, the, one of the first initial things that we did was we got on with Pentagon federal, they're a credit union out of the, the DC area. Uh, they primarily serve the military, military members, DOD kind of financing, that kind of stuff. So usually really big financing, uh, but they have an accelerator program called the PenFed VEEP program. It's the veteran entrepreneur investment program. Uh, and it's, it's a six month accelerator course where they, they basically take you in and they, they tear apart your books, they tear apart your marketing strategy, your sales channels, everything. And they get you completely built up to be a, a functioning business with, you know, legible books that are correct and accurate with a correct marketing plan. And they get you ready for venture capital. So to take on VC. Uh, the end of that, that program is uh, pitching in front of, we pitched in front of 200 different VC firms who were all focused on veteran investment. And there was only 10 people on the stage. We had two offers by the time we walked off stage, uh, and multiple more came in after that. So we, we walked through the, the venture capital route and I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here, by the way, just to, to fill out some of the story and let you know. Uh, so we got to the point of accepting venture capital. We decided to work with a VC firm and we got to terms delivery. Uh, when you're doing your due diligence with a venture capital firm, getting ready to take on that money, there's a lot of back and forth. You sit down on the phone call uh, with the, you know, the whole firm, basically once a week, you go over every last little document, line item, numbers. And it's a lot. It's a fucking lot, dude. And we got to terms delivery and the terms were different than what we had agreed on the week before. And we're like, hey, you know, what the fuck over? Like, this is not what we just talked about last week that you said would be on the paper. It's different now. It's like, well, you know, it's it's it is that, but it's a little bit different. And we got to the point where we just said, no, we're we're not gonna take on VC. We're gonna find another way to do this because we won't don't want to dilute the the brand. We don't want to dilute the story. And we, we don't want to, we want to do right by our customers at the end of the day. And we knew that if we went this route, we would lose the company. Eventually they would like, like a lot of the VC firms do, if you make a mistake or if they just don't like you, they can push you right out really easily. And that's what we were eventually staring down the barrel of. And we just didn't want that risk because we knew that we could serve the military in a much better fashion than, than they could. Uh, so we opted not to take the venture capital and we shifted really quickly. Um, and we ended up pitching uh, celebrity chef, Robert Irvine, if you're familiar with him, he's a, he's a huge entrepreneur. He spent 16 years in the Royal Navy. Uh, he was a chef at the white house. Now he has restaurants all over the U S all over the world. He's got the only sit down restaurant in the Pentagon and his foundation, the Robert Irvine foundation specifically supports military veteran, military and veterans and their families with, um, you know, uh, kitchen and home renovations, mobility devices, that kind of stuff. So this is the guy who's in with the military. He's got a restaurant at the Pentagon. He knows everyone at the Pentagon. Like this is the guy we need to talk to. Um, Dave was already working with him extensively. So we pitched him the idea. He loved it and he came on board. So uh, that's where Terra Arma uh, kind of resides these days is it's myself, Dave and Robert are the three owners. Uh, and you know we have a huge, huge access to the military now. We've been outfitting 
tons of military units and, and the growth has been astronomical since that point. But just to kind of fill in the story a little bit for you. Yeah. So what's, I mean, is the sales pipeline, is it like mostly inbound for you now with, with, with what you just described or is there still a lot of outbound or like, how are you now managing and operating the business between the three of you? Yeah. So, uh, well, we have, we have a team of employees. So we've got about 10 people, uh, between employees and contractors that, that work here. Um, and it's, it's balanced across kind of across the board. So, uh, Dave's the CEO. I, I sit as the chief product officer. So I oversee all the, the product manufacturing logistics and uh, a majority of the sales channels. So I kind of oversee that. And then we have employees under us who touch on things like marketing, communications, uh, sales, warehousing, uh, kind of all the back end stuff. Uh, so it's it's split kind of kind of in that aspect. Uh, Robert is much more of a uh, of a partner on the the large uh, large side of the, of the house, right? So he's he's the one introducing and and helping bring a lot of those relationships to the table uh, and kind of to fruition. Uh, so he brings them to the table, we execute and make it happen. Is more or less how that ends up working. Awesome, I love it. Um, all right, so I do I want to pivot a little bit. We've kind of jumped all over the place here. I, I want to talk a little bit about supply chain and and um, and moving kind of towards a, a clean supply chain and moving towards I believe last time you spoke you said everything is is cut and sewn here right hundred uh, percent sourced and made in the US so right. raw material from raw materials to cut and sew it's all done here in the United States now yeah so can you talk talk us through what that journey was like and just just, just kind of I, I want to ground the the listener here for for a second like yeah. obviously folks who've been listening for a while have 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 heard me talk to a couple of different guests about this and and know that that it's something that I'm passionate about and and both want to um, help consumers move towards companies and purchase from companies that that operate with a clean supply chain and and obviously hopefully everything you know based here in the United States, but I'm also coming from a place of, I want to understand why uh, some companies don't do that instead of just pointing fingers and, and and calling names. I want to understand like, what does it actually take to move from the supply chain that you need to use to bootstrap and get started to the one that you want to have that's, that's clean and, and based here in the U.S.? That's a really good question. And I like the way that you phrase that. Um, so yeah, uh, to, to just lay it out plainly, we, we started overseas in China and Thailand, um, and it was it was the easiest place to start. Uh, they have all of the the experience. They allow for low uh, minimum order quantities or MOQs, right? Uh, they have unlimited customization. They have access to pretty much anything you could possibly need. All the specialized equipment and machinery, and they offer it for a much cheaper price. Uh, so starting overseas especially in this business is, is much simpler. And especially if you're starting without um, a huge financial backing, right? If you wanted to start in the US, you would need a clean million, uh, probably one and a half million just to get started in the US. And no, no joke, it's just what, how it goes. So uh, we, we began overseas just because that was all we were able to do. <clears throat> my, my intention was initially to start it uh, here in the US, but after reaching out to U.S. manufacturers and realizing the minimum order quantities that you had to place for a single color, we're talking a single color item. So like a black T-shirt, you're going to have to order 5,000 of those. You want a white T-shirt, 5,000 of those too. Now, if you're doing that, you're paying for U.S.-based prices and then you're waiting for the large guys to finish up, right? So if I place that order and the manufacturer says, cool, we can start on that in about three weeks uh, and it's going to take us six weeks to finish, I say, great. But Levi's walks in next week and says, hey, I need 500,000 pairs of jeans. Guess who gets put at the back of the line? And now that's that's us again. So those were all considerations that we that I was taking uh, when when choosing where to manufacture. And we just, I just couldn't take that risk at the time. How, how can I spend you know four or five times more just to possibly get it on time if I'm telling my customers it's going to be at a certain time and it's not because I'm getting pushed back? It's something I can't have happen. We're going to lose continual business. So that was the decision to start overseas. It was just much simpler, much easier. Um, and, and it was just the, the more correct route for us, I guess. That being said, we, we spent our time overseas to where we could build up the business to a functional standpoint, to where our products were the way that we wanted them to be, make sure we have all the technical information. And then the switch from overseas to U.S. has been a year in the making. Uh, well, more like a year and a half to be to be completely honest. 
Um, so it's it's been a huge undertaking and migrating to the U.S., standing up our own factory in, in the Los Angeles area was, was an absolute massive undertaking. Uh, we have uh, a 24,000 square foot uh, facility with an additional 24,000 square foot logistics center in the, the Los Angeles area. Uh, and now all of our products are being 100% sourced and made in the United States. That shift was, uh, was a massive learning point for me, and I did not do it alone. I'll just be very clear. I, I found people who were very experienced in the manufacturing areas, uh, specifically with textile and clothing manufacturing, and uh, just tried to make friends, to be completely honest. And that's ultimately what happened is I found a manufacturer who I resonated with, we, we had a really good personal relationship after meeting right away. Uh, she really liked the, the idea of what, what we were doing, who we're serving. She comes from a military background and she said, hey, I love what you guys are doing and I'd really like to help you establish this. Um, and so she, she basically took me under her wing and, and taught me the ins and outs of American manufacturing and how to actually set up a manufacturing system, how to set up a logistics and supply chain system. Uh, so it was a lot of learning this year, um, and a lot of, uh, a lot of trial and error to be completely honest as well. Um, we, we, you know, shot ourselves in the foot a couple of times, but it's, it's to be expected when you're shifting from, uh, the, the clothing side to now owning the manufacturing side too. Uh, so it, it was, it was a large undertaking and a lot of fun at the same time. Uh, but not something I would, I would typically recommend to anybody. It's, uh, it's, a uh, it's pretty tough. Yeah, well, listen, I, I appreciate the honesty and the and the vulnerability there uh, on that front. Um, and what, what do you think was the biggest thing you learned about yourself as an entrepreneur going through that process for the last year plus? Uh, learning to trust yourself. Um, yeah, that's that's. I think that's the biggest point is just learning to trust yourself and and to trust the others around you. Um, if you're, if you're on a team is if you're just by yourself, uh, you know, trust yourself, utilize that network. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that I, that I've been able to learn is, is those two points. If you're on a team, trust the team around you too. Uh, if you're asking them to do something, trust that they will do it. Uh, they'll do it the right way. And, you know, that, that gives you the ability to, to focus on the things that you need to. Uh, so yeah, trust, trusting myself is the biggest one. Cause I've, I've run into a couple hurdles where I start to doubt myself, right? We get to a financial, uh, strangle point, or we get to, uh, we're going to be delayed on a delivery. And I, I look at myself like, can we do this? Is, is it just the, the time to quit now? And, and no, it's not the time to quit. It's the time to buckle down trust yourself that you're going to get through it. And you will, you will, you know, it, it just, it takes that discipline. Yeah. I love it. I appreciate you sharing all that. Um, okay. So to, to wrap things up here, I ask an open-ended question. Uh, well, first, w before we do that, Alex, where can, uh, where can folks find you, uh, the, the podcast, the business on, on socials, where do you want to drive traffic to? We'll tag everything and, 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 uh, and put everything in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me, I, I'm on Instagram. I don't really use anything else. It's jolly.christian. You can find Terra Arma at Terra Arma on social media and on our website's terraarma.com, T-E-R-R-A-A-R-M-A, and uh, the Medevac podcast, both our socials and uh, our, our Spotify, YouTube. You can find those Medevac, that's M-E-D-E-V-A-C podcast, if you can't spell I love it. Where did the name Terra Arma come from? Uh, any, any, what's the significance for you? Yeah, so it, it uh, it's Latin for earth armor, basically, and in Latin, arma can mean both armament or armor, so it's interchangeable between offensive and defensive weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea I wanted to utilize eco-friendly fabrics that are good for the earth, and that's that's a big thing that we do. Most of our products are reclaimed and recycled. We use advanced molecular technologies that are plant-based instead of petrochemical based. Uh, so incorporating those things that are good for the environment, and then arma, obviously serving the military police fire that kind of thing so um, our offense and our defense that's that's who we serve so the name kind of kind of brings all those those characteristics together oh man i love that i'm glad i i snuck that last little question in there um yeah. okay so uh i ask an open-ended question to end each episode uh what's on your heart and what's on your mind for our community right now could be a piece of advice something you just want to get off your chest or something you want to reiterate from what we've already talked about today what's on your heart what's on your mind 
Uh, two big things lately. So uh, men mental health is always at the forefront uh, for me. It's it's something that uh, it's it's a topic that I am. It's very near and dear to me. I, I dealt with my own mental health struggles uh, during the transition out of the military, um, which ended up being relative to, to TBIs. And it, it took me a long time to to learn how to navigate through those those feelings. Right anxiety, depression, the transition transition syndrome that people have or operator syndrome as they call it a lot of times, um, you are not alone in dealing with that. Pretty much every single person who transitions out of the military deals with it in one way or another. And more likely than not, they're dealing with the same exact things that you were de dealing with. Be open and honest about that stuff. Bring it up to your friends, bring it up to trusted people or bring it up to people who, like myself, talk about it openly and will help you work through that stuff and find resources. There are unlimited resources available for military and veterans' mental health. And you can't tell me I'm wrong because there are unlimited resources. If you need something, there are 43,000 nonprofits in the U.S. that primarily serve military and veterans. Somebody will help you get the help that you need, but you have to ask for it. It's not all on everyone else. And uh, forgive me, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little brash sometimes with with uh, the veteran treatment. Uh, people aren't here to kiss your ass and to serve you. You are here to take care of yourself. Now you got out of the military. That means you don't have that support network anymore. You don't have that paycheck or that that health insurance or you know whatever it is to fall back onto. You are in your own boat, and you need to row that boat for yourself. If you're struggling with you know getting your VA disability, getting a therapist to the VA, getting a doctor to the VA. Just fucking call them and ask because they will help you. Like, it's really not that hard. Just call and ask. Hey, I'm, I'm dealing with this. If you're really running into roadblocks, there are unlimited services out there that will help you get through those things. Uh, and, I, and I can't stress that enough. For me, the biggest one of the biggest topics that we talk about and one of my biggest points um, is, is the uh, utilization, appropriate utilization in a, in a medicinal setting of psychedelics. Um, it was it's something that I, I tout from the rooftops. It's something that I'm very open and honest about. Um, I've used them in the past in a medicinal setting, and that is the single most powerful thing that helped me cross through the, the issues that I was dealing with. Anxiety, depression, TBI, brain fog, all of that stuff kind of compiled into one. Those are what helped me to, to transition through that. I am not an advocate. and I'm not telling anyone to go just do them. There are resources available. There are places that are overseen by medical professionals that are totally clear to where you should go to those facilities and those clinics and utilize those resources. Uh, that is something that I tout from the absolute rooftops is, uh, is trying it out. Whether you're scared or interested, uh, it's really something that's starting to come around in the mainstream. It's much more accessible in an inappropriate setting. Uh, so if you are running into those issues, that is the number one thing that I can recommend that you do in the appropriate setting with appropriate integration and utilizing a therapist along with that. Um, I cannot stress that enough. And if you're a veteran entrepreneur, let me tell you what, you are going to be stressed as fuck all the time. Uh, so figuring out ways uh, to set yourself up for success early. If you find yourself in that mental state right now and you're trying to start a business, you are going to cause much further problems for yourself down the road. Address those things early and address them address them head on. Be honest with yourself about what's going on, what you're dealing with, and figure out how to, how to drive through that so that you can serve yourself better in the future and you can serve others better in the future. Uh, and the second, second point is, is recruiting right now. Recruiting is in the toilet. I don't know if you've noticed that, but uh, what, what's a way that we can, we can assist with that is to tell our stories. Um, Honestly, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of people that don't want to serve right now. And I completely understand. I resonate with a lot of those feelings and I understand why. Um, we still have a country we need to defend at the end of the day. Uh, and we don't have nearly enough people who are willing to do that. And I think that more veterans need to tell their stories for real. Uh, tell people how it really was. And, and when it comes down to it, and I can ask you this very directly. Gary, did you enjoy your military service at the end of the day? I did. I loved it. There you have your answer, right? Like it sucked a lot, right? I mean, th there was a lot of shit that sucked um, and there's a lot of bad stuff that's going to happen or that can happen. But at the end of the day, it is an overwhelmingly positive experience that opens up a lot of doors. And by sharing those stories and being honest, like, yeah, there's a lot of shit you got to deal with, but great. 
everything else that comes with it is is phenomenal. The the friendships, the the family that you form, the the education that you get, the opportunities that are allotted, the places you're going to travel and things you're going to do are are things that are you know like no one else has has ever been able to do outside of the military. Uh, so sharing those stories and, and helping to get the recruiting numbers up because we're going to find ourselves in a very hairy situation shortly if uh, if we don't do that. So that that would be my recommendation is to share your stories with the young people. Let them know how it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed on both fronts. Thank you for thank you for sharing and thank you for thank you for being for being um, so forceful with it uh, on both of those both of those fronts. Um, ask for help. Get help. Um Plenty of resources have been highlighted on the on this show. Everybody knows that they can reach out to me um, at any time, and I, I have a, a good line on a lot of those resources, and, and happy to be to be a, of service there. Completely agree about psychedelics um, on that on both fronts, both the use of them as well as the appropriate, proper, and integrated use of them. Uh, and then and yeah, man, on the recruiting stuff, I, I agree. It's something that's come up on the show the last few episodes, and everybody has different perspectives. I think my favorite thing about our community. The military veteran community, not just the Air Force community mm. and the Air Force veteran community, but the military community, we we can actually talk about things in a very real way, um, and we we can hold multiple truths in our minds and in our hearts at once. The mm. the 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 disintegration of the general population of the United States politically and culturally right now is not is not uh, representative of of us and our community and our experiences. My my experience here has been has been uh, overwhelmingly positive in the sense that not everything is positive, but positive in the sense that we can talk about anything. We can say the VA needs to be reformed and we can still do our own work to find our own resources and to help each other. We can do both of those things. It's not an either or, it's not binary. Um, So so echoing your sentiments, appreciate you, brother. Definitely. No, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on today, Carrie. I really, really appreciate it and uh, enjoyed talking with you.